Good afternoon. So my mic is on, is that right? All right, good. You guys have a nice lunch? Hopefully you're not ready to take a nap. No naps. I have a rubber band shooter in case I see somebody nodding off. That's it. Well, good. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Ed Fedor. I'm the associate pastor at Cornerstone. The other Cornerstone, the one on the east side, this is not related, but Cornerstone Community Church in Mason Heights. And um, you are in combating the lure of the world by cultivating a hunger for the glory of God. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard already this morning. You know, it's kind of a long title. What's the deal with this long title? And um, I just want to be kind of like, you know, Jonathan Edwards, my, my hero. Some of these guys had long titles. I mean, the entire sermon is pretty well summed up in their title, and I'm trying to bring it back. That's what I'm trying to do. The title is long, and the topic is huge, and it's way too huge to uh, cover in a workshop like this. But we're going to look at some aspects of this, and I think are going to be helpful for us, not only in our individual lives, but as, as counselors. As biblical counselors, what are we concerned about? We're concerned about helping other believers honor God with their lives, to please Him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.9, you know this verse, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We make it our aim to please Him. That's our aim. As God's children, we want to please our Heavenly Father. We want to be pleasing to Him as our Father. Life goes better with the children when the children please and honor their parents in their attitudes and in their behavior. We want to help our counselees to work out what it means to grow in holiness, to grow in pleasing their Father and help them in areas where they're missing the mark. And God has given us all kinds of biblical principles and means of grace to help us. He didn't just say, be holy for I am holy, and then go figure out how to go do that. He didn't do that. He didn't leave us without means. He gave us a whole lot of commands in the Scriptures. He gave us lots of things. He didn't just say, go alone and go try to do this. He gave us things like the gospel, the glorious gospel of salvation in Christ. Apart from the gospel, we could not grow in holiness. We all know that. And because of our faith in Christ, He's given us His Spirit who convicts us of, of sin. He gives us the Spirit to illuminate the Word of God and helps us understand the Word of God. He gives us the truth of the Scriptures so that when we meditate on the Scriptures and we renew our minds, he starts changing us from the inside out because we have a heart problem. God wants to change our hearts. So he's given us the truth so that as we meditate on it, we grow from the inside out. He's given us his spirit so that we have a new power and a new ability to please him. We were not able to do that before. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, we didn't have the spirit. We didn't have the means and the tools. So we have this now. And now we can go. And those are important means of growth. Our counselees need to understand and grasp those things. Our union with Christ, we are no longer in bondage to sin. That's great news. And our counselees need to know all these things. But I want to suggest that there's a, a, a piece of this, a key piece, 
that is way too often missing in our counseling. A key piece that we too often and too easily pass over. And it's a principle that we see in the scriptures over and over. And as we start being more aware of it, we'll start seeing it every place. It's something that has to be the overarching motive of everything we do as believers. What is it? What should be at the core of our being that feeds and empowers our sanctification and our growth? What is it? It's a hunger for the glory of God. A hunger for the glory of God. And this has two big aspects to it. Number one, we need to be personally captivated by the glory of God. The person of God, who He is. We need to be personally captivated by the glory of God. And the second big aspect of this is we need to hunger to glorify God with every area of our life. We need to hunger in our soul to bring Him glory. These are two big things that need to guide us and be a part of our who we are as Christians. They're both important. Now, this is not some kind of magic bullet. This is not like the key thing that will make our sanctification just fly. But it is an important foundational principle. It's something that has to be there and ought to be there for every Christian. But first we need to understand the problem of our problems. We need to understand the problem. We're beset by all kinds of sinful desires, rebellion, lusts. Why is that? It's a problem of appetite. It's a problem of appetite. Even though we're saved, even though we're, we're children of God, even though we've been called and credited with the righteousness of Christ, we are still plagued, we're still weighed down, we're still led astray by the flesh, by fleshly appetites, by sinful desires. And we all know that appetites are necessary. We need certain kinds of appetites. We have an appetite for food. We have an appetite for water, for rest, for shelter, for intimacy with our spouse. These are all important good things. And in fact, if we don't satisfy some of those things, we're going to live an unhealthy life. But way too often, our appetites crave things that are sinful. Or we crave things that are good, but to a sinful degree, to the point where we're willing to sin in order to get those things. Or we twist it and we pervert it and we want to satisfy our lust, even though something that's good at, at its core, we twist it and pervert it into sinful desires. In our flesh and in our sinfulness, we too often hunger for things that don't honor God, don't satisfy us, don't produce good fruit, and don't last. It's the nature of our sinful flesh. And so often, we're never satisfied. We want more. In this constant wanting more for things that are, that are sinful at their, at their heart is what tends to bring trouble in our life and harm to our spiritual life. That's where sin and guilt and shame show up in our life. And King Solomon knew all about this. Ecclesiastes 5 
10 to 12, he said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So much of our drive, a lot of people are just so driven to money, and the reality is, it will not be satisfying. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. More money, more stuff, more food, more of all the kinds of things we crave are ultimately unsatisfying. We still want more. We want more. Things are consumed. Material things wear out. Money flies away. Lusts always crave for more. And none of our sinful cravings achieve the righteousness of Christ. None of it really satisfies our souls. None of it produces eternal fruit. And like our pastor likes to say, it's kind of like eating cotton candy. You know, you eat that big mouthful of cotton candy and it tastes sweet, you know, for a minute, and then it's, poof, it's gone. And then you eat some more and poof, it's gone. And all you're left with is a stomach ache and heartburn and cavities. Yeah, that's right. It's a problem of appetite. We hunger for the wrong things. So what do we need to do? We need to cultivate, consciously cultivate a new hunger. Consciously, consciously cultivate a new hunger. A hunger for the glory of God. Now, when I was growing up, I, I hated fish. I don't know, if, are you guys fish eaters? Who's, yep. I hated fish. When mom would make fish for dinner, it was like, oh, mom. It's just they were stinky, they're slimy, they don't taste very good, and no thanks. So I grumble and complain my mom would make fish. So what happens? So I get into my uh, 20s, and I start getting into the work world. I start getting invited to professional lunches and conferences and dinners. And, and what do they do? They put down a plate of fish in front of you. It's like, I hate fish, so here's the fish. And that's all there is. You're looking around. There's no menu. It's like, here's the fish. So eat the fish. So you either eat the fish or you go hungry. So this started happening. And I'm thinking, i got to adjust my attitude because now I'm getting all this fish. So I started eating the fish. And you know what? It started adjusting my attitude. It's like, not so bad. I kind of like this fish. And then I started developing a taste for fish. And then I started ordering fish off a menu. And then I started some of my favorite dishes now are fish dishes. How did that happen? I developed a new appetite in a new direction. Something I didn't like before became tasty. We need to know, and our counselees need to know, that God has given us a new power, a new ability to train our appetites for the sake of righteousness. And that new appetite can push out old appetites. I mean, I used to love candy. 
all kinds of candy I used to love. Not so much chocolate, but I used to love you know, hard candy. You guys know what pixie sticks are? Remember those? I used to love just pour that sugar right into my mouth. And then I was so excited when they came out, the big plastic ones, you know, you could really dump it in, you know. And then Bub's Daddy, Bubble Young. Remember Bub's Daddy? I don't know where it went. It was, it was the greatest bubble gum. And then over time, and I started paying the price with cavities and dental work, you start seeing the consequences of those kinds of choices. And after a period of time, I started to say, you know what, this is really not good for my health. I really need to stop eating all this sugar. I suffered the consequences of overindulging, and I paid that price. And now it's rare that I'll have any kind of hard candy or chew bubble gum. I've developed an appetite for healthier foods. It sits better with me. And before I was a Christian, now I'm a Christian. I didn't like righteousness in my old self. It was kind of square. It's kind of like, I don't want any of this. This is boring righteousness. But now that I'm a Christian, now I have a new heart, I'm a new creation. I want what Jesus wants. In my new nature, I want to please my Savior. He wants to be glorified, and I want to bring Him glory. I have a new appetite. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, according to this verse, how are we satisfied? by righteousness, by Christ's likeness. And not only righteousness, but hungering for righteousness, thirsting for it. And when you hunger for what's best, you'll be satisfied. When you have, you train your appetite to hunger for things that will satisfy, you will be satisfied. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, all work at training us to hunger for new things. It's a part of our, the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. And it's not so that he's, He wants to train us to, to, to hunger for things that are bad, like gravel and mud. Here, I want you to eat this stuff now because you're, you're a servant of mine. He gives us good things. He wants to give us good things. Only the best things. Things that truly satisfy us. Because sin is not ultimately satisfying. It's not. We all know this. We've all been caught in that little spiral and that little trap. It's not ultimately satisfying. It's a fleeting pleasure that leaves an aftertaste of regret and shame and guilt and negative consequences. And we've seen it over and over in our life. But righteousness results in a deep soul satisfaction. It results in peacefulness in your soul. You know that verse in, in Hebrews chapter 12 where it talks about holiness. It's in this section about God disciplining us for the sake of holiness. And afterwards, what does it yield? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Seeing and savoring the glory of God satisfies the soul like nothing else can. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, 1 to 3 and verse 6. Listen to what Isaiah says. 
This is God talking. God says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Do you hear the pleading in that verse? I love that. It's such a, it's such a wooing of us. Here's what's going to satisfy you. God says, I am the one who satisfies. I'm a fountain of grace. I'm a fountain of satisfaction. Come to me. I'm a fountain. Drink deeply and you'll be satisfied in your soul. God says, I'm the one who satisfies. Know me. Learn about me. Worship me. And I'll fill your soul to overflowing. Now let's think for a few minutes about why God created us. What was his purpose in creation? I think we need to start here. We need to see the roots of this. We need to recognize God's declared purpose for his creation. What is God's number one purpose behind everything he does? What's his end purpose in everything? You know, what is it? To be glorified? To exalt his glory. That's God's end purpose in everything he does. So that his glory might be displayed, seen, magnified, and treasured. That God's glory would be displayed, seen, magnified, and treasured. He does what he does for his glory. Numbers 14.21, God declares that all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then it goes on to say, night after night, day after day, it's proclaiming, it's proclaiming, it's proclaiming, it's screaming out, I made this. Isn't it beautiful? It's a continuing witness to the glory of God. Day after day. Every day we see it. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The same thought is expressed in Isaiah 11.9. Listen to Colossians 3.15-18 Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He created things. We enjoy them. We are blessed by them. But he created them for him. For his name's sake. For his glory. To display the, the magnificence of who he is. That in everything he might be preeminent. All throughout Scripture, we see that everything God does, from His creation to all His acts, all the way throughout Scripture, everything that He does, even your salvation is not mainly for you. In the end, 
It's to display the glory of His grace. He creates, He acts for His glory, for, his, for the sake of His great name. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, God's ultimate goal is to preserve and display His infinite and awesome greatness and worth. That is, His glory. God has many other goals in what He does, but none of them is more ultimate than this. They are all subordinate. God's overwhelming passion is to exalt the value of His glory. That's why He does what He does. So let's ask ourselves, you know, what is the glory of God? What is glory? Let's define it. The word glory in the Bible has a variety of meanings depending on the context. But the main word in the Hebrew means weight or worth. It has to do with the importance of something. When it refers to God, it's referring to the weight or worth or value of His manifold perfections. God's perfections are weighty. They are supremely valuable. They are glorious. And John Piper said this way, he said, God's glory is the beauty of His manifold perfections. In the New Testament, the word means loftiness and majesty of God. It had to do with God's honor, His splendor, His power, His divine radiance. And then we see the verb form, glorify. It means to honor, magnify, praise, or extol. So to glorify God is to honor and praise Him in His manifold perfections. It means to acknowledge His greatness and reflect His greatness. To reflect His greatness. And when we reflect any of the attributes of God in our attitudes and our thoughts and our behavior, it glorifies God. It's a reflection of His glory. And when we demonstrate God's love, when we love people like Jesus loved people, even our enemies, it's a reflection of divine love that's coming through your life. And it reflects on His love. So in light of all this, what does God call us to do as believers? Number, number three, embrace God's main purpose for your life. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 43. He wrote, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Powerful statement. I created you for my glory. Whom I formed and made, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And then we see in, in Peter, first Peter four, Peter's talking about spiritual gifts. He says that each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who seeks oracles of God. Whoever serves 
as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's a huge statement. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we were created for God's glory. That's why we were created. We may have purposes that we think we are to fulfill in our lives, but in the end, the overarching purpose is to glorify God. That's why He created you. We need to fully embrace that purpose personally. So how do we do this? How do we... How do our counselees do this? God wants His creatures to see His glory, to savor His glory, and to bring Him glory. So first is awareness. First we need to see His glory. God's glory has been described as the bright white light of all of His perfections. The bright white light of all His perfections. And how many times in the, in the scriptures do we see God associated with light? Isaiah said, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Revelation 21, 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. The Apostle John said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. And then you can think of the individual attributes of God's glory as the colorful, refracted beams of that light. Just like when light is, is passed and refracted, refracted through a prism. You see that? You see the picture there? It's a little hard to see. You got it? You guys have seen a prism? You shine white light through the prism, and you see this rainbow of color coming out the other end. And you see all these different colors. Where did that come from? Did it come from inside the prism? No. Those are the, those are the parts of the spectrum of that white light. It's all contained within that white light. And then we see red, and we see orange, and we see blue coming out of it. And just like white light when it's refracted through a prism, we see the glory of God as this bright white light and all the, the spectrum of God's perfections we see individually, and all of those add up to the great white light of His glory. He's perfect in His love, which is a beam of His glory. He's perfect in His grace, which is another beam of His glory. He's perfect in justice, in mercy, in knowledge. And all of these individual attributes are refracted beams of his, the bright white light of His glory. So, for example, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, In love he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So we see grace as a refracted beam of his glory. And we see that in his power. The glory of his power, the glory of his might, the glory of his mercy, and so on. He wants his glory to be seen and valued and marveled at. But he wants us not only to see his glory, 
but to savor His glory. Savor His glory. He wants us to love His glory, to admire His glory, be enraptured with His glory, and worship Him for His glory. Psalm 29, 1-2 Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 34, 1-3 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Psalm 96. I mean, you can go through all the way through the Psalms and you just see Psalm after Psalm, God being praised and glorified for who He is. So here's a question. Why does God command us to praise Him and glorify Him? Seems a little egotistical, doesn't it? You know, when somebody that you know is kind of asking you to praise them, isn't that kind of like unbecoming? Why would God do that? It has nothing to do with egotism in any way. It is not unbecoming of God to want to be praised and glorified. You know what it is? You know why He does it? Because of His love. Because He loves you, He wants you to praise Him. Because He loves you, He wants you to glorify Him. Now why? Because the only thing big enough and beautiful enough and captivating enough to fully satisfy our souls is God Himself. The only thing big enough, beautiful enough, glorious enough to satisfy our souls is God Himself. and the beauty and the glory of His Son. And when we worship Him for who He is, our worship completes the enjoyment of that glory. I love how C.S. Lewis put that. He, I think, really hit on it. He said, I never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's, it's appointed consummation. In other words, this gives us the heightened expression of our joy when we praise what it is that's glorious. When we go to, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon, ever been to Arizona? Oh, you guys, you should go. It's amazing. We went there with my family and we're walking along, you walk along the edge of this Grand Canyon and you just, can't help but say, wow. I mean, if I didn't say, wow, it would have just been like bottled up in me. Because it's like you have to express it. And it's so magnificent. 
And I'm saying, honey, look at this. Look at that. Look how huge this is. What a glory to God. And then, I had my son with me. and we, You know, you can walk right out to the edge of this thing. There's no railing there for most of it. You can walk right out to the edge and look down for, I don't know how many, like a mile. And I said, Austin, wouldn't it be cool if you sat on the edge and I took your picture? Sit on the edge of the Grand Canyon so I can get your picture. And he did it, and it was really wonderful. It's a great picture. Sort of dangerous. Dad, what are you doing? It's glorious. Therefore, when God demands worship and glory, he's lovingly drawing believers into that which will result in their greatest joy. There's no greater glorious thing than God himself. So we should praise it. That's why it's loving. Because God knows that we will not be captivated by anything lesser than him. Every pleasure here on earth is way too small to fill and satisfy our soul. Money, sex, food, material goods, vacations, friends, spouses, nature, everything falls short. All of them are good, but all of them are too small. Only God in his glory is big enough to enrapture and captivate the soul of man. And God knows this. That's why he commands us to worship him. And we worship him in truth, which means that we worship him according to what is true about him. So the more we know him, the more we can worship him fully. And the more we can worship him fully, the more enjoyment we have in our soul. Nothing even comes close. No sin, no matter how alluring, can satisfy our souls like God in his glory can. So we need to understand that. We need our counselees to understand that. As we drink deeply of the glory of God's beauty and majesty and perfection, we are filled up and satisfied. And the lures of the world begin to pale in comparison. Once we've tasted an incredible, juicy, seared steak, a perfect potato, and beautiful veggies, we're far less enamored by cotton candy and Cheetos. Unless you really love Cheetos. I don't know what that's, you know, like for you, but I'd much rather have a beautiful, juicy steak. The best delights push out the inferior ones. So God wants us to see his glory and to savor his glory, and then he wants us to bring in glory. What does it mean to bring God glory? Is there some way, is there some possible way that you and I could add to God's glory? No. God is fully glorious in his person, in himself. He is absolutely fully glorious. No way any human being could add to God's glory. Now, but there's a million ways that we could glorify Him. We make Him seen as glorious when we reflect His glory, when we reflect His character and His attributes in our lives. 
when we increasingly think and speak and live in a way that honors God. When God supernaturally works in us and changes us more into the image of Christ, we reflect God's character, and that brings Him glory. It's an evidence of a changed heart. That's supernatural work going on. When we don't live like the world anymore and we start reflecting the glory to the character of God, that honors Him. That shows Him as glorious. We show God as gloriously loving when we love people, even our enemies, in His name. We show God as gloriously patient when we're patient with others in His name. We show God is gloriously merciful when we're merciful to others in His name. We glorify Him by honoring Him with our lives, by leaning on Him for daily strength and humble dependence on Him, because we're saying, we need you, God. We know that we don't have everything in ourselves. And it honors Him, and it brings Him glory, because He gives the one. He's the one giving strength. We glorify Him by doing good works, by bearing much spiritual fruit, by living in unity and harmony with other believers, by devoting ourselves fully to Him, by believing God's promises, by expressing gratitude to Him. And on and on we can go. We reflect the character of God. It glorifies God. So as believers bought by the blood of Christ, we need to cultivate a deep hunger an increasing appetite for the glory of God. It's such a key for sanctification. Because if we only focus on how we should avoid sin or to put off sin, which we need to do, if we are so focused on that and we step back from the edge, how do we step back from the edge of sin so we can be, we can be so focused on sin that we lose sight of God's purpose for us? And we miss all the joy in the Christian life as we're pursuing God's glory. We get lost in the weeds. And we not only put the emphasis on the wrong thing, we miss the joy. We can get stuck in, is this a sin? Should I stop doing this? Is this what I ought to be doing? We need to shift from a sin avoidance focus to a glory focus. What would bring God most glory here? How can I glorify God with this decision I need to make? What would reflect well on Him? We need to accept spiritual fruit. If this is the focus of our life, when we orient our lives around a hunger for God's glory, spiritual fruit will be the natural outgrowth of that kind of a heart. Paul told the Colossians, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your minds there. If you guys are backpackers, you know, you could set your compass if you need to know where you're going. Set your compass in a certain direction and and go that direction. If your compass is set on glory... You can expect to move in that direction, and you can expect spiritual fruit. That's what Paul is calling us to here. 
And this new hunger will displace other hungers. Now, I don't know if you're, you're like me, but after I've had a delicious meal, and I'm all satisfied with this delicious meal, the last thing I want is to have dessert. I don't know if some people are dessert eaters. I, I just feel like I'm going to pay a price if I add anything more to that meal. When you're supremely satisfied, your hunger for other things diminishes. And another interesting thing happens. What else happens when we are focused on God's glory? We push the button and it works. A focus on glorifying God elevates the meaning and the purpose of every activity. When we are focused on the glory of God, it elevates the meaning and purpose of every activity. Everyday life takes on a whole new significance. Even the most routine of activities, everyday moments are transformed into God-glorifying, soul-satisfying, joy-producing opportunities. Driving, eating, haircuts, everyday conversations, everything can and should be done for the glory of God. And we glorify God when we do what we do with gratitude to Him, in obedience to Him, in love for the other person, and so on. We have to remember that there's really no hard, sacred, secular line. This thing is a secular thing. This is a, I go to church and that's a, a church thing. There's no hard line there. When I'm eating, I can eat to the glory of God and it'd be a satisfying experience beyond just the eating of it. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you brought your Bible, you can look there. Remember in 1 Corinthians 10, um, what was going on in Corinth? Paul is talking to them about how there was meat sold in the marketplace that was used in pagan rituals. That meat might have been used in a, in a ritual as to, to a pagan idol, that kind of thing. Remember, so he's instructing them, should they eat this meat or not eat this meat? So you might be going over to a, a, a friend's house, maybe a few of you, and you're eating, and he said, don't ask any questions, just eat what's there. Because in First Corinthians 8, he talks about meat is meat. It's not changed by your ritual. He's saying it's meat. Eat it. Enjoy it. Now, but he says, if somebody then informs you that this meat was used in a pagan practice, and there's other Christians there, don't eat the meat. Why? Why? It's just meat. He just said, you know, this, this, is not, this idol is not a god. God is God. There's no other god. The meat is meat. Just eat it. Because if I eat that meat, I might cause my brother to stumble. And that would be unloving. But if I know that my brother might stumble, and I lay down my liberty and say, no, I'm not going to eat that, even though it would be okay to eat it, it's not okay if I'm going to cause my brother to stumble. Do you remember that passage? So by my laying down my liberty, I am showing love to my brother for the sake of his conscience, and I am glorifying God by not eating. So what does Paul say at the end? He concludes, So then, 
whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He's talking about eating and drinking, about the most mundane thing you can do. But you can do that thing in a way that glorifies God, by showing love to your brother. There's a bigger picture principle here. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. You can glorify God in this very mundane thing. You can glorify Him in all kinds of things in all your life. A.W. Tozer wrote this on this verse. It opens before us the possibility of making every act of our lives contribute to the glory of God. Lest we should be too timid to include everything, Paul mentions specifically eating and drinking. This humble privilege we share with the beasts that perish. If these lowly animal acts can be so performed as to honor God, then it becomes difficult to conceive of one that cannot. All things must be done to the glory of God. It elevates even eating and drinking to something glorious. I can eat this thing in a way that loves you and honors God by doing it with good manners and all the rest. So, how do we cultivate this kind of a hunger? Number one, we need to commit to know God better. Commit to know God better. And there's no real shortcut here. God has revealed himself in the scriptures and we need to pay attention when we read about something, one of the refracted beams of his glory. Read about that and be captivated by what it says. And we'll start seeing it everywhere in scripture. I would also recommend to you and, and to your counselees a little book by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. Have you guys ever read this? Do you guys know of it? This is a fantastic little book. It's, it's little, but it is pithy. It is meaty. And he goes into the, the, the nature and the character of God, his infinitude, his immutability, his omniscience, his wisdom, his omnipotence, his transcendence, his omnipresence, his faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy. You read this, you're, you will be soaring by the time you're done with this. When I read this, um, and this is just what's out of the Bible. God has revealed himself in the Scriptures. It filled me to such a degree that my worship changed. My worship completely changed. Because now I'm worshiping him honestly according to what is true about him. The more you know about God, this is worship fuel. The more it will captivate you about who God is. Now, this isn't the only book that's a good one, but there's, there's others. The scriptures are just loaded with the nature and glory of God. Allow yourself to be amazed by the majesty and perfections of God. Now, and there may be, in your counseling, there may be a specific attribute of God or two that would be really helpful for your counseling to know. They may be doubting God's goodness or his love. And you can go into the scriptures and help them do a study on that particular, those particular attributes, or maybe his sovereignty. And as they get to know God's sovereignty, they can worship him better, and they can be settled in their soul. All the attributes of God have a component that impacts us. B. Daily praise 
and worship God for His great glory and perfections. As you're learning about God, take time to praise and worship Him for those things. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship Him from a sincere heart and according to the truth about God. Be captivated by God, by His greatness. Praise Him for His perfections, His beauty, His majesty, His power, His omniscience, His glorious purposes, His love, His patience. And not just daily, but through the day. As you're taking a walk, you feel in the breeze, wow, thank you for your creation, God. I do that. I'm walking my dog and I'm just, I'm, I'm soaring in my spirit. I'm just going, man, this grass is green and beautiful. Look at this grass. Thank you, God, for your kindness in giving us beautiful things. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it, it, it fills your soul like nothing else can. Even the most mundane things. Don't just walk by the beautiful trees. Day to day, it's declaring the glory of God. Pray for your heart to be captivated for a transformed heart, for an increased hunger for God's glory. See, commit to shedding everything that reflects poorly on His glory. Now that may seem huge. Oh, I'll just do that. But let me tell you, we will never make really significant progress in sanctification until we're prepared to glorify God in every area. We like to nibble around the edge and all stop swearing. No, let's think about how can I glorify you, God, with my whole life? Let me have a disposition for your glory. It's a whole different and a whole new mindset. It's a radical reorientation of your life. And as God convicts us of some area that's not reflecting well on God, we need to commit to throwing it off, taking it to the cross. And thank God for the cross, who daily, God daily cleanses us through the cross, through the gospel. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And God is so faithful. He is the one, it's one of the beautiful beings of the light of His glory is His faithfulness. And He'll poke at you and, and say, you know what, this doesn't reflect well in my glory. Pay attention to that. D, memorize verses on His glory and our purpose to glorify Him. We all know that our behavior flows out of the condition of our heart, right? A heart that is set on the flesh and fleshly appetites will work out in fleshly fruit. And a heart that's set on the glory of God will work out in God-glorifying fruit. We need to know, we need to remember our frailness, our tendency to forget. So commit some of these things to memory. We need to set our hearts on the truth and meditate on the glory of God. Meditate on our life purpose to bring in glory. Paul said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because even though we're Christians, even though we have the Spirit of God in our life, we still are beset by fleshly appetites. We need to constantly renew our mind 
and orient ourselves toward the glory of God. It takes birth. There's no shortcut. But its fruit will pay off. Listen to what Tozer said again. He said, that we see the truth is not enough. If we would escape from the toils of the sacred secular dilemma, the truth must run in our blood and condition the conflicts of our thoughts. We must practice living to the glory of God, actually and determinedly, by meditation upon this truth, by take, talking it over with God often in our prayers, by recalling it to our minds frequently as we move about among men, a sense of its wondrous meaning will take hold of us. And then E, remember that God is always present. God is always present. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. It's one of the glorious beams of the light of His glory. He knows everything immediately and completely. And one of the temptations in our lives is, is that, you know, if we think that no one's around, you know, I'm not accountable. No one sees me what I'm doing. We need to remember that God is always present. Always. Now, some of us think, you know, we have an orientation, we need to destroy this orientation, that yes, God sees everything, but he wants to see, so that when he sees me doing something wrong, he bops me on the head. He did it wrong again. He did it wrong again. That's God's orientation to me. No, that is not God's orientation to you. God is for you. And when we live to his glory, when we have a mindset, when we set our compass in that direction, God knows it, and He sees it, and He delights in it. When we do what we do for His glory, for His name's sake, in His name, He sees it and He knows it. So we need to remember that God is delighted every time we do that, and He will be rewarding us for it. God delights in seeing His children oriented toward glorifying Him, because that is His purpose for us. That's his purpose. That we would be a glory to him. And that's what will satisfy our soul like nothing else. And it will push out on any other kinds of desires. If that's our orientation. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are glorious. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. You've revealed yourself to us in your creation. And we are blessed. We are blessed to know you. Help us, Lord God, to know you better. Help, our, help us to be wise in listening to our counselees and helping them to see you to know better, to know you better, to worship you in truth. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to push out all the sinful desires and be filled up with your glory. Thank you, God, that you are the one who wants to satisfy and fill our souls. Help us, Lord, to come to the waters and drink and drink deeply and be affected by that. Transform us, I pray, God, by that kind of a mindset. Remind us to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.